When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, welcome back. I hope the fortnightly break's not too long for you, but I'm back with another corker of an episode. Today we're joined by someone who's captain England 20s, but more recently has been hit by what is really decimating the English game. He was at London Irish when they went bust, and now finds himself playing fly half at Gloucester, but currently recovering from a long-term injury. It is of course the one and only Monty Bradbury. All that's left to say is enjoy. We'll see you in half an hour. Thanks for joining today, Mons. Um, lovely to see you. So, you're talking about you've had a pretty wild 12 months, starting with <laughs> playing the England 20s, captaining the side, starting at fly half. And then at the end of the season, obviously, you were hit with the pretty, pretty savage news of London Irish going into administration. Can we? Yeah. I, I want to start there because obviously that's a big thing in the rugby world with three clubs yeah. in the last like, year and a half going bust. Can you talk to me a little bit about the process as a player? Like, how did you find out what went on? <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely. So I think ours was potentially a little bit more unique than Wasps and Worcester. I think mainly because ours um, was primarily at the end of the day due to our owner pulling out of the club and basically said from quite early doors that he wanted to try to sell the club and was almost willing to give it away for one pound. And he was quoted in the press yeah. saying that almost at the start of the season. Um, and like we were obviously all aware of that and just obviously hoped and assumed that a buyer would come in. Um, season plays out, obviously right at the back end of the season, we start to hear about rumours in the press and there's always rumours in the rugby world and things like that, that, you know, the owner might be pulling out, we might be short on funds, blah, blah, blah. Um, and basically, yeah, we first have a, you know, it's probably a month or so before the end of the season, we have a team meeting. Um, we get told that, yeah, the owner's looking to sell, but we're getting told that this American consortium 
was yeah. the only way it was raised to us was going to step in and come in and buy the club and write off its debt and basically invest loads into the club and look to really grow the club and mm-hmm. they had a vision for it basically being a like a a British and European powerhouse of a club and I think they'll probably supposedly were then going to try to tie that in with that Irish link potentially back to the US and try to grow the game that way as well um, so that's kind of what we were originally told and obviously we were all thinking this is class we're going to have loads of money as a club and you know it's all going to be great and we're going to go start winning things um, but I think it, that kind of then dragged on and we were made numerous assurances in terms of these funds are going to be coming tomorrow and then yeah. tomorrow comes and uh, these funds haven't come and the owner hasn't sold it and it that kind of went on for a few weeks they got to a point where we all took at the end of one month our existing owner said to us i'm not paying full wages and we basically struck a deal with him hoping to then supposedly get this american consortium in the next couple of weeks we basically paid half so we all got paid mm-hmm. half wages well um again Players keep playing, we keep training and things like that. Um, and a couple of weeks later, uh, we play against Exeter, last game of the season. And we were basically, at this point, really weren't sure about the state of the club. And, you know, it's going mental stress about us folding and things like that. Uh, anyway, we play, end of the season, we've just moved out on top four. Uh, and then, yeah, about a week or two into the off-season, I think at this point, a lot of us knew the writing was on the wall a little bit. Yeah, because it dragged out for so long, we've made so many different assurances in terms of these funds coming in, and you know. And, but the issue was, I think, when it really hit home with me, it was about a week or two into the off season. So we were just on Zoom at this point. Lads are all over the world, yeah, holiday and all over the country at home and things like that. Um, and we have a meeting with kind of the RPA and the RFU, and an RFU spokesperson comes in and says we still don't even know who this supposed American consortium is. Mm-hmm. And that's when you go, right, okay. So <laughs> I think, like, if the RFU don't even know who the, these potential owners are meant yeah. to be, there's no chance there, kind of thing. Um, and although I think a lot of us knew it, it was kind of, that's when it really hit home. And then, you know, a few days later, we get told we're going into administration, and et cetera, and, you know, um, basically start looking for another job. And obviously, lads try to sort things out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of guys weren't able to get other jobs in rugby or so a lot of lads yeah. my, around my uni. Um, you got a couple down Exeter actually as well. Uh, Cardiff Met, Loughborough, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how it went down. It was a quite a drawn out process compared to say, I know Wasp was just like one mm-hmm. meeting, we're done. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm sure you might have spoken to lads who were at Wasp as well in the same yeah. podcast. Same thing. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit different, but yeah, it was probably a little bit more drawn out than potentially other clubs were. Do you think there's enough protection? I mean, especially if you spoke about the RFU and the RPA, obviously they're heavily involved with it. Or do you think there is enough protection for, especially the young players, as you said, it is, it's hard, obviously players like, uh, Charlie obviously got his move straight away to Leicester. Yep. You've got off to Gloucester. Then I look at someone else who, I mean, you obviously play with Lucas Brook, who's now had to get these down, yep. down the extra route to uni. <laughs> People have obviously, as you mentioned, go down there with different routes, but, was there enough like transparency and connection between the RFU and the RPA with the players? Um, I'd say it's hard to say that there was because of the way it ended up. And obviously, you know, with three clubs folding, it's where do you point the finger kind of thing. But yeah. I don't think the answer is quite as simple as that because what can the RPA and the RFU do when mm. an owner says he's not own the club anymore? Yeah. Um, 
no one steps in to really cover that financially. And I think we, you know, the rugby world knows that English rugby in particular, it's not a money-making business. Uh, as an owner, particularly with COVID, like you're just losing numerous millions a year pretty much. And it, you have to be this, in general, a big benefactor who loves their rugby and is almost willing to have that financial cost to be able yeah. to own a rugby club, have that kind of with them. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I think it's hard to point the finger really at the RPA and RFU. And I, I know some people might have different ideas and I probably don't necessarily know quite enough about the yeah, backroom no, stuff involved. But, um, yeah, when an owner steps away and no one at all fills that void, I think it's quite difficult really for the RFU because the RFU can't really, unless they're going yeah. to actually fund themselves like in a Irish model or a New mm. Zealand model, um, but again, there's only then four, five, six provinces, whatever there is. Um, so it's, it is very different. Do you think the writing's on the wall in a sense then for British rugby? That Do you think that there's obviously been rumours this season that another club's been struggling and would have been late on payments? Do you think it yeah. could continue to spread? That happened to another club? Uh, well, I think obviously the RFU have already, to a certain extent, started that with those central contracts that they've, yeah. you know, I don't know. 20, I don't know what the rumours are. They haven't really, I don't know whether they fully come out and announce them, but yeah, obviously they're going to fu- help fund some English players to hopefully stay in England. And yeah. personally, a lot of people might think differently about this. I do think that if you are playing in France, you shouldn't be able to play for England because I think then everyone would just leave. I think, I think the English league completely fall to the way, by the wayside kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, would, I do think though, Knowing Henry Arundel and things like that, I do think he's been hard done by by the RFU because he was, as you said, he was out of a job and him going to play for Racing, that I'm sure financially it's it's a pretty good move for him as well. It's but, nice um, for a 21-year-old. It's not too bad, is it? It's not too bad. So yeah. I don't think, at the same time, like who would say no to that even if they then couldn't play for England? You're living in Paris, you know, you're under Stuart Lancaster, playing with some of the best yeah. players in the world. Um, like what's not there to like if you know what do I mean you not but think, I do... do you not think in Henry's case obviously he got given the 12 month leeway when Irish went under it was fine from play abroad he then I'm sure a number of clubs would have happily brought him back to England and he chose to stay out there do you not think that he's made his decision then it's not necessarily his yeah. like he's had his opportunity to come back yeah I think he probably should have had this season so he probably should have been able to play in the Six Nations I yeah. know he uh he's re- like he had a one plus two and I think he's activated that as well, mm-hmm. so he's there for kind of two and a half years. So yeah, that might do with it, and him then not coming back. As you said, I'm sure clubs would have taken him um, at the end of this year back in England. So yeah, obviously he's made that choice, and he, I guess, he would have known where he was at. But I do think he should have been allowed to play in the Six Nations and just given like a year, like I think Jack Willis yeah. was. I don't want to 100 sure, but I do think he should have been given this year. But um. I do think, as a general rule, if the if you do allow players to play over in France, I do think they'll it'll, the English system will fall apart a little bit. But as you said, is the rice on the wall? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said, it's not a financially viable model. I think at the end of the day, when mm. you are solely relying on and owners losing, yeah, you're, you're, that's literally where it is. And as you said, you hear the whole time of. You know, there might be a late payment here and this club's struggling and you're never, you're never entirely sure exactly how much 
truth there is behind that, but I do mm. think from particularly with rugby and from what we've been like at Irish were through and but etc., there is often kind of no smoke without fire a little bit. Um, I don't think it's quite like football where you know new newspapers completely make stuff up. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure there isn't. There is truth with that behind it. Some sort of truth, I reckon, behind it. But um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I'm obviously hoping that no more clubs do fold because I do think then the system really is failing. Yeah, and then obviously, given what you just said, were you at all surprised? Obviously, I wasn't planning this, but um, the news that Owen Farrell in the last week or so that he's decided to pack up and head off to France as well. Um, yeah, I think obviously, I think a lot of people probably thought he was probably gonna be a one club man and spend his career at Saracens and um, I think you know played for England until he was 35 36 I'm sure people probably expected that um, again can I blame him for leaving no um, again he's probably earning I mean he's probably not on bad money at Saracens either but he'll be on some fair whack out in Paris <laughs> got a young family he might want some kids to learn French for a couple of years and grow them up there and um, I said he's living in Paris step away from the English media a bit which vilify him I think uh, very harshly um, and I'm sure he's having a great time playing in you know probably one of the best stadiums in for mm-hmm. rugby in Europe you know playing indoors at the La France Arena um, again I think what's not there to like playing for Racing I think would be an amazing couple of years and whether he comes back or not again who knows of course um, we'll get off of the toxicity that is money in one set. I've got one more question sort of around this. Obviously, at, again, this ties into something else I want to speak about. Back in last season, you suffered a big injury, your ACL and your meniscus. With everything that was going on with Irish as well at the same time, did you ever, probably quite a hard thing question, did you ever think that might be it with your rugby career, that you, you probably wouldn't get picked back up because no one's going to take a gamble on an injured player? Yeah, absolutely. So I did my knee two weeks before Irish folded in what yeah. was the... I spoke about, um, you know, that last week we played against Exeter, uh, the last game of the season. I did it on the Thursday training session of the last week of the season. So that was pretty unfortunate. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, it was a big, these clubs were taking a massive chance on someone with basically, I would have been like, I'm out for this entire season. So yeah. and that's kind of what they, what I was expecting. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a big gamble. And, you know, I was talking to one or two other clubs who, did pull out when they found out the extent of my injury and things like that. So, um, but thankfully, Gloucester stepped in and I had a good relationship with James Lightfoot Brown, who's now, who was at London Irish and is now attack coach at Gloucester. Yeah. I think he definitely played quite a big hand in that as well, uh, as well as bringing in uh, numerous other London Irish boys as well down to Gloucester. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. It, it did cross my mind, of course. Um, and I was pretty pretty nervous to the fact that it my, that my timing probably couldn't have been any worse to be honest and how has the recovery process gone since obviously you would have started the first two months probably because you signed for Gloucester in what was it August so you had yeah the I started, the summer I, you would yeah yeah so um yeah I started in Gloucester at the start of August um Irish folded mid-May late May something like that I can't really remember so yeah for two months uh, I was without a club um, for a month of that, or maybe six weeks of that. The RPA did fund physio and like S and C yeah. stuff at I for not just injured boys, but boys who were without a club at that point. Just you know, keep up with their gym, keep up with their running, keep yeah. things open, um, which was good, and that was really helpful for me. Um, obviously, 
as good as that was, it wasn't the same as being in a full time environment because of you're not. It, you know, it might have been two or three times a week rather than four or five times a week, for instance. So, and that probably did stall my recovery initially. Uh, and then I was in front of by the RPA, uh, another physio in Reading for a few weeks, um, mm. which again was like really helpful from the RPA, but again not ideal from being compared to being in a full time environment. But yeah, I was very glad to be able to coming to Gloucester at the start of August and kind of pick things back up again. Um, and then, yeah, recovery in general, slow, very slow going. Has that demacia meniscus, but uh, yeah, my cartilage was the main issue and it is still the main issue. Um, and that is like, because there's very, lim- very limited blood flow to your cartilage, it doesn't heal particularly well. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, a lot of pretty, pretty dull stuff pretty repetitive things uh, and it has been for I'm now coming up to nine months in and it's still very dull and repetitive um, but yeah hopefully we'll get there eventually um, you know hopefully I'll be fit for next season and that's kind of where my sights set at the moment yeah so short term aims you so you will be back playing full time rugby next season anything on the horizon for this season or is it all just rehab and forgetting uh, uh, I think I was originally hoping to be back in March April time um, yeah I had another operation at the start of October, uh, start of December, sorry, uh, which kind of wrote that off. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think if I'm back for next season, I'll be relatively happy with that because I'd already mentally written off the season anyway. You know, yeah. I, if I was back training March April time, I, I probably wouldn't have played anyway, and I because there wouldn't be much point. I think by that point. Um, so yeah, hopefully next season, um, and I think I'll be relatively happy if if that is the case. And obviously you've moved to a club which you will be competing with. They've seemed to have a ridiculous number of fly halves sort of within, yeah. their, within their ranks. They've just obviously brought Charlie Atkinson in as well from Leicester mid-season. They've got Hastings. Is that something that you're looking forward to competing with the best and learning from them? Or is it something that you, in the back of your mind, means it's going to make my job 10 times tougher? Um, I think a bit of both. But I think at the end of the day, you know, all the premiership clubs have top quality fly halves and you just have to be better than your competition in that regard. And as you said, there's plenty of guys there who I can learn off as well. Um, so that is a positive. Um, and yeah, as I said, yeah, like you've got to, there's going to be competition at every club. Um, and at the end of the day, kind of the cream does rise to the top kind of thing at the end. Um, and if you're playing well and you're confident and, you know, you're doing what the coach wants you to do, you will get an opportunity at some point. Um but yeah, there is plenty of competition and I guess that's just something I have to crack on with, hopefully, when I am back fit. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it, to be honest. Have you managed to integrate pretty well with the squad, even though you obviously haven't ever been playing while you've been at Gloucester, you arrive and you're injured and you've been in the physio room ever since, but you still feel a good part of the squad and boys are getting around you? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of good people at Gloucester, both staff and players and things like that. Um, a lot of really nice people. Obviously, it is a bit more difficult. Um you know, I think people who have played rugby and team sports and things like that um, know that, you know, the way you can get to know people is through playing and, you know, kind of sharing that bond with them. So it definitely is a bit more difficult. My contact time with a lot of the other squads is less than it would be just because, as you said, I'm in the physio room. Uh, it does mean that you get to know that other lads who are injured quite well. Um, <laughs> as you, you know, just sitting on physio beds for half the day, four or five times a week, it um, gets to know people pretty well. But, um yeah, I'd say it's definitely a little bit more difficult. It has been a bit of a challenge. Um, but again, there's a lot of good people, you know, a lot of lovely guys. And 
down at Gloucester. So, um, no, they're, they're making me feel welcome 100%. Who's keeping you entertained in the physio room then? Any, anyone in particular? Uh, Varapar Roskin is an interesting character. Um, so, <laughs> he's definitely entertaining. Um, but, you know, Adam Hastings has spent a lot of time injured. He's a lovely guy yeah. to talk to. Um, no, and there's, a, there's numerous other academy boys as well um, who have, you know, picked up some pretty long-term injuries as well. So, although you, you never like to have someone of a long-term injury, it does mean I get a bit more company in a physio room. So, um, yeah, and there's, there's, plenty, there's plenty of good guys and the, the physio team is a lot of fun as well, which which is nice as well because the last thing you want is someone really dull and having to spend yeah, someone two or three hours. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's good. I, I mean, I'm really enjoying it uh, down at Gloucester. They're looking after me really well and I, I can't complain, to be honest. And of course, I mean... I can't say what your highlight of your career is, but one of the big things Gloss would have seen of you, which would have helped make the decision, is your performance in England's 20s last year. Talk to us a little bit about that. Obviously, before this was sort of your first proper breakthrough, time spending time with England. Um, yeah, look, yeah, the 20s was very, very enjoyable. Um, you know, it's always great representing your country and things like that. Um, originally, I was, I was almost in some regards lucky to even play at all. Um, so I wasn't actually picked in the original squad, uh, which I wasn't very happy about. But um, yeah. got a bit of luck. I think there's there's an injury or two at fly half, just before the start of the Six Nations, and played a couple of the warm up games. Went well, then yeah, got the start against Scotland. Um, and uh, it, it, as I said, it was great fun. You with you know a bunch of thirty lads who are all the same age, all there for have a good time. But also, like I said representing their country, probably on that stage for the first time. Um, like the obviously like lads have played under 18s and things like that, but it's it's not the same in terms of the coverage of it and how you're actually in a Six Nations environment and you're in camp week on week. So um, you know you get to know people really well. Um, unfortunately, the tournament ended with me getting a red card against Ireland, and that is the last time I've that is my last act so far on a on a, on a rugby pitch. So um, hasn't been yeah probably wasn't the best way to go out. Um, that, that tackle divided a lot of opinion at the time. Yeah, what's what? Do you feel like you were hard done by, or do you think it probably was? Uh, yeah, it's it's easy for me to feel hard done by because I think it's quite clearly was an accident. But when you look at it, you can't really blame them for sending me off. It's just not. It's one of those that just doesn't look good. Um, it was clear, and thankfully, you know, the Irish fullback was he was absolutely fine. Um, I spoke to him after the game and he's, he was told by his physio to stay down and milk it as much as possible which again can't really blame them for as well um, but yeah it was pretty unfortunate it was my first first card at all in my career so that was interesting um, I couldn't really come at a worse moment because I felt like we were really in the game with the wind behind us in the second half started to gain a bit of momentum and I thought we could and eventually we got a red card we then had 14 they pulled away with it a little bit and then Ireland win the grand slam so that was great <laughs> um, uh, yeah, probably let a few down there, but yeah, it was one. Of, it was one of those things. Um, the whole tribunal and that kind of experience, from getting banned and things like that, was all a bit, a bit alien to me. Um, it was quite an interesting experience as well. Um, I don't know whether you spoke about it with anyone on this podcast before, but um, it honestly feels like you've ended up in court and you've committed a crime, um, and you have people from all over the world. Yeah, we spoke a little bit about it. Go go into the process a little bit. So obviously, you get the yeah. red card. You you obviously yeah. appeal it, but then take us through what then that what happens next. Yeah, so got the red card. Um, 
the next day, I know the team manager and the team manager at Irish are organising me getting on a, this tribunal on a call. Um, it's all over Zoom. Thankfully, I didn't have to, you know, wear a suit and go into Twickenham, which it wasn't potentially before COVID. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, because I think actually mine was done by the Six Nations rather than the RFU. I think that's how it worked mm -hmm. as well. So mine was, you know, I think it's like a four-person panel, like internationally. Um and they're they're like slowing down, replaying, doing the whole the whole lot. Whilst like the Wi-Fi doesn't really work that well, so it's like really blocky and things like that. I don't know. It was just a bit carnage. Um, and I'm in there with my academy manager, like trying to argue my case. And you Justified. know, it was like, this happened and this happened and well, yeah. What but, were your, bar it being obviously unintentional, what were your justifying reasons? Um. Well, I think that was kind of the main one. Uh, and then my next one was gone. I've hit him low and I've rapped. And then he's kind of gone over my shoulder. And then my, like, their issue was with it was I then kind of stand up in the tackle. But my argument, which is true, I was just trying to catch the bloke because I've seen his legs basically go over my shoulder. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Um, I'm trying to, trying to catch him before he lands on the head. Anyway. Um, but I think, I, yeah, but I think basically in terms of me trying to catch him, I've actually then made it worse. So mm. uh, it was a bit thing that probably let me down um but yeah you basically you, you try and argue that you can you can argue if you get a red card you can argue it wasn't foul play at all and you shouldn't even have a yellow yeah but that's a pretty argument to basically go again for so if you try to argue that it should be a yellow card you admit to foul play but that it should have mm -hmm. been a red card line you go down and you know unless you've punched or kicked someone in the face you just go i'm sorry and i'll take the punishment like you try to argue it yeah uh basically so i've got a <laughs> I got a three-week ban, which annoyed, which was actually really annoying because it ended up being four weeks because there was a bye week in the middle of it, which yeah. didn't really make much sense to me, which obviously is the rules. And I get it if, you know, because it's meant to be three games. And I understand that because, um, as I said, if you get, you know, banned at the last game of the season, you basically don't get banned at all. Um, mm -hmm. But so it was a bit frustrating. It meant I missed out. And also, no, friendlies didn't, like, were including it as well. So I basically missed essentially five games that I could have played in. Um, so I felt a bit hard done by, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's the, it's the you, way it goes. Do you think that's something that needs looking at and does that rugby adopt more of a football way that you'll get match bans rather than weekly bans? Um, yes, I, yes, but I think that's the way it's done. Anyway. That's the gist I got because if it's a week ban, but I know with mine, because there's a bye week, that's why I ended yeah. up being four weeks because it was three like games. Um, I just felt, mainly I felt hard done by because like, I accepted that, whatever. Um, but they're like two friendlies, a weird like kind of A-League-esque, like yeah. second team friendlies with Irish, again, when it comes to like Leinster and Bath or something. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't allowed to play in those. And, you know, it was like a young player. I felt a bit hard done by for that because it was quite, it would have been quite a key part of mm. like an experience for me and it would have been, it would have been yeah. good for my development. I think that's what Irish were trying to say to them as well. But again, it didn't work. But Completely. Yeah, there's been one where another player Irish, who was like same age, around the same age as me, he got a red card playing in the national leagues, and then the friendlies didn't count in his bands. So he was allowed to play in them, and that, well, that's when it all got a bit, a bit weird for me. How it was kind of one rule for yeah. me, and then one rule for him. But I don't know. It's the way the way it goes, and um, it's a shame that that was my last act on the rugby pitch. But it was one of those things. I think it was hopefully quite clearly an accident, and I guess you have to just take take uh, take that into account and just crack on with it, really.
Of course. Before, I just want to go back to something you said probably, it was probably about five minutes ago now, but you mentioned that the physio told that Irish fullback to stay down and keep milking it. Yeah, Is that something that you think happens a lot more in rugby now? As in, not because of the football, but you see in football, there's so much about people yep. diving and stuff like that. It's something you don't necessarily consider being as big an issue in rugby, but is it? It's not something I've heard too much of. Uh, um, yeah, I'm sure it is. I think it happens the whole time. If a lad's been... The only, the only thing I'd say with it is now, you know, you might see, well, if someone gets hit in the face, are they going to stay down and milk it and things like that? The issue then is, if you do that, you then have to go off for an HIA. Yeah. So there's quite a fine line. Um, I do think, though, a big one is something like that, where or someone goes up to take a high ball and gets spun in the air, maybe lands on their shoulder or their back or something. Definitely, I think they're, they're told to stay down 100%, just to you know, try and get more out of it as well. But, and I think... You can argue against it and go, oh, you know, you shouldn't be trying to milk that. But at the end of the day, it's sportsmanship. If the person's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a penalty anyway. Personally, it's probably not a great thing for me to say, but if you can stay down and milk a yellow card out of it or milk a red yeah. card out of it, you're getting the advantage for team. Uh, and at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, the ref or TMO at a high level need to kind of see through that and they'll do their job by the letter of the law anyway. So, um, yeah, I think teams 100% do it. I think, like it does if someone is injured i don't really know what the exact laws are in terms of like if there's an injury in a tackle or something like that i don't really know mm-hmm. but 100 percent teams do. i think every i think every, i think every single team if something like that has happened which is pretty rare um 100 i think everyone does it interesting um obviously you made your sort of professional like you first break of professional game came in the prem cup just yep. a quick one on that a lot of people look at it as worthless and not enjoyable to watch stuff like that do you think it's still a very valuable part of the English setup in rugby? I think it is because it obviously provides launch pads for the young players. It's like players to put their hands up and it's the sort of first sighting that the public will get of a new 19-year-old or new 17-year-old prof, whatever, like stuff like that. And so many people have who are now in the English setup have made their springboard through the Prem Cup. What's your take on that competition? No, uh, exactly the same as yours. Um, I think it has to be, um, particularly now there's no A-League as well, um, mm-hmm. because... Otherwise, you know, young players aren't going to get any shot of, you know, feeling like playing a professional setup or playing a professional game. And I said it has to be that stepping stone into the Premiership, and then, as you said, kind of into the England setup. So um, I think it's massively valuable. I know obviously they changed it around this year. It's now majority at the start of the season, which I think is good and bad because um, it does mean if someone's injured at the start of the season, they then basically miss the entire mm-hmm. Prem. Which is a shame. Uh, but it does mean if as a fit, say you have four or five really good games in the Prem Cup, you can almost force your way into a Premiership side exactly. the way you otherwise might not have had that opportunity to. Um, so I think it's absolutely massive. It's a massive kind of place for young players to really put their hand up. I think the only difficulty with it sometimes is that that you some teams might put out a much stronger team than the other side, and mm, different take it differently seriously. Um, I know at London Irish, like, sometimes I felt like we were putting out sides that were a bit too good and we were absolutely battering teams. Um, yeah. And it, But it happens the whole time where it is quite a hard balance because DORs will want lads coming back from injury to play in it as well to get fit match fitness. But they could be a 30-cap international and could be opposite or 18-year-old just playing his first professional game. You know you know what I mean? It, it, can, it can be quite hard to balance. But I think with the championship teams coming into it, it definitely both gives exposure to the championship teams, but also allows teams to play 
Premiership teams play younger players, like use that as another almost stepping like as a stepping stone. Um, I think I think it's really good for the game to be honest. And I said particularly now there is no A League, which is really unfortunate um, because it means a lot of lads are going out on loan, which again is isn't a bad thing for the Championship and the National Leagues, but it does mean you don't get that same professional quality exposure yeah. than you might have done. And it can be like I, I played at both. Henley and Rosslyn Park and absolutely love both of those and they're great for my development um, but it does mean I know boys have had difficulties where they might like you only might only be at a loan club for a two or three week block and then it's really hard for that loan club to mm-hmm. then pick you because they've got lads there they don't want to drop and yeah. etc and it can be quite difficult for some guys to get quality and consistent game time at you know 18, 19, 20 um, which is a real shame but yeah I, I'd love to see the AD come back in but I, it, it won't happen with the squad size happen the, the Premier Cup has moved to start season because of the World Cup as well but is that yeah. now a permanent fixture it's going to stay there it's, it's now going to always going to be or is that was that I thought it was just for the season yeah I don't know um, yeah. so you, you think it's better off that it would stay where it is now um, I think there's pros and cons to both um, as I said if like it does happen with some boys they're just in like and they might get a niggle at, back in the pre-season yeah. you miss all your opportunity for the year um, whereas before, I think there's like one or two at the start, one or two more November time, one or two January, February time, and it kind of worked that's that way. Around. Uh, you got to stick around a bit. But as I said, then it does give some younger lads consistent game time to really put their hand up then to the start of the Premiership season, kind yeah. of set them on that season. So uh, there's pros and cons to both. I don't know whether it's staying or not. You, you might be absolutely correct that, and I know it wasn't mm. due to the World Cup, why it changed. Yeah. Um, so it may well revert back again next year, but. I'm not entirely sure to be honest no no worries um, before we finish I just a little bit obviously it's that time of year Six Nations this is actually mm-hmm. coming out just the same day as the second round of games but is there anyone all the squads right now anyone who's particularly caught your eye or one that you think people should look out for who could really burst onto the scene um, yeah I'm trying to think between the squad I've just seen um, so yesterday Ollie Lawrence is out which is a shame because I think he was yeah he's he doing great on the start as well wasn't yeah, he yeah he was Carter. I think Slade coming back having missed out the World Cup will be class um, he's been again unreal for the extra all year I'm trying to think some of the younger players uh, Chandler coming himself I'm hoping he won't get a game um, obviously I know I'm well from London Irish hopefully he can, can sneak into a test squad and that'll be really good for him I think you know he's a top young player uh, very physical very attritional um, again played with him with the 20s as well and he was just carving that up as well so mm. hopefully he gets a game um who else are trying to think? Who's in that England squad? Or looking yeah, elsewhere, has anyone taken note in Wales? Obviously, Wales has gone. They've pretty yeah. much ripped up, ripped up the form book and gone. Here's, yeah, they have. Some youngsters and that's a four-year cycle at the start. Yeah, I think obviously them handing Daft Jenkins the captaincy is very interesting. You know, he's my age, which is incredible. And, you know, fair play to him. He's already all probably, what, 15, 20 caps for Wales. He's captaining his country at 21, which is pretty unheard of. Uh, <laughs> Which wasn't it? Um, look, I think it might be. It'd be great for Wales to prove me wrong, but it could be a pretty tough couple of years for them with that squad that they've gone for. But I don't think you can necessarily blame them. I do think they needed a bit of a reset anyway. Yeah. That's what we'll go for. And look, in four years' time, half these players might have thirty or forty caps, and they could be a real contender for all we know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's interesting how some nations do go for four-year reset. And you can't blame them necessarily for doing so. And it's kind of that balance is 
you know, and I think that's what England's course done quite well, actually, is there is a nice balance of those younger, kind of slightly more unproven guys. And then, you know, a bit of that experience as well to not just sacrifice games for the next yeah. couple of six minutes. Um, you know, still be a bit of a contender, but also give guys plenty of caps, potentially for four years' time. So um, I think there's a nice mix there. I think it should be really exciting Six Nations. I think there will be some new names kind of on the European stage that people haven't really heard of who will really put their hands up as kind of top international players. And for England, who do you think, in your, obviously in your area of the field, do you think they'll, when Farrell's obviously suspended the World Cup, Ford took the reins, yeah. but do you think they'll stick stick with that? Or do you think they'll finally, not finally, but give Smith his chance to really stamp his name on the bad place for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think they'll go with Ford. Although I would say Ford has I been agree. injured. Probably hasn't played his best rugby with Sale. Yeah. But I think he's excellent in the World Cup. He knows Borthwick very well from their time at Leicester. Um, and he's a top, top quality operator. And I think they'll go with that. Um, it'd be interesting to see whether Finn Smith gets a game. Again, he's been cast for Northampton. Uh, like we just saw his game, that game against Munster in the wet. Uh, where they turned them over at Thurman Park with 14. So, yeah, look, I think it'll be really interesting. It, uh, I'm sure Smith will get, if he's not starting, he'll be on the bench. And I'm sure he'll be cast off the bench for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, whatever time mm. he gets. Uh, I do think he'll go with Ford just yeah. for that kind of manager role, bit of experience. And I think if he's got a young backline yeah. outside him, I think that'll be, that'll be critical as well. I love Finn. We've had him on the podcast before, but I think he's going to have, I think it's, probably more of an experience-based role that he'll be taking than I, I can't, unless there's a card or an injury, I can't see him breaking into the match day 23. Yeah, it's probably unlikely. Um, but again, if I'm sure he, I'm sure this won't happen now he's in the England squad, but obviously they've still got that Scottish link as well. So that'd be yeah. a real steal for Scotland if yeah. he doesn't. Well, who's it? Alec, Hat- Alec Hatburn's just obviously been called up to Scotland having represented England however many years ago. So it's, it's clear that people do do it. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it does happen. I do think find that a bit mental. Um, and I feel like <laughs> it's... Like, yeah, it's, but again, like... I, again, if you're if, if I was a player and I was in that situation, why wouldn't you want to go and play international yeah. rugby again? If you exactly. are... You draw registered and you're, you know, mm-hmm. your grandmother's from wherever or one parent's from Scotland, one's yeah. from England. Like, why not? Go and have that experience. It's, I think it's impossible to like a vilify a player for going and doing that because why would you turn down international selection mm-hmm. for any country in so yeah, I'm blaming them at all yeah okay well quickly before we end six to first how do you see it panning out sorry say that again six to first how do you see it panning out Ooh. I think France will come first I think they're just too good they've got so many good players um, Ireland second England third. Hopefully we beat Scotland fourth. <laughs> oh, I don't know how high my hopes are. Uh, and then Italy to beat Wales as well. Yeah. Wales last. Interesting. I think I'd yeah, probably be in the same part. Well, Mons, thanks so much for giving up some time and coming to chat to us. I'm glad that the rehab's not too mind-numbling dull and fingers crossed we see you back on the pitch soon. But thanks for coming on, mate. Cheers, mate. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 